Welcome to the Laser Lounge Podcast, which is a podcast for laser engraving business owners and hobbyists, both Gantry and Galvo. We are here to answer makers' questions, hear others' makers' stories, provide expertise on certain topics, and in general, discuss how to help your business or hobby grow. Myself, Alicia Pate, and May Armstrong will host special guests in the laser lounge industry, or we may even just cover technical topics ourselves. You will be benefited by hopefully learning something new about a technique or process, or even just listening to another maker's own experience of what is working for them. We hope you enjoy our podcast. You can find us online in Facebook at the Laser Lounge at Pate Ranch or on YouTube at the Laser Lounge at Pate Ranch. Come join us and learn something new today. Special thank you to our show sponsors, Thunder Laser USA and Rotoboss Rotary Attachments. Now let's get to today's show. All right. Hey guys, uh, welcome back to uh, the podcast. And as we said before in one of our live streams, and I kind of pulsed to check the group uh, in the Laser Lounge on Facebook that really wanted to start bringing more business related topics to this forum and community. You know, we, we all, we bring a lot of technical design stuff, but we're all running a business or a hobby. And one of the things that I think that many of us are weak at is our business skills. Some are great at it and they don't really share that knowledge, but we thought we might bring that to the community. So I kind of have um, something in my hip pocket. My husband is, is very well versed in this area. He's got a lot of background in this space. And so I'm going to introduce to you guys, uh, James Pate. He is going to start bringing these weekly podcasts with me, and we're going to be focusing on business areas. So James, welcome to the group and welcome to the podcast. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. You and I talk about business stuff probably a little more than we should, maybe daily. And we we're talking about our own portfolio and what we're doing with our own business. But this is going to be a great addition, I think, to the community. So give us a, a quick introduction of yourself and, and why you um, are kind of seen as an expert in this area. Talk a little bit about your your resume at a high level and also your education background. Okay. Thank you for the introduction and for having me. Again, James Pate, your husband. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, background, I can't believe it. It's about 30 years of working in operations and um, you know, just different major capital projects, a couple of different industries. We're both working in energy now, obviously. Uh, I manage kind of these larger projects. And um, the job I'm doing now is is connecting different parts of the business. So the company we work for is a large integrated or super major uh, integrated energy company. So that means we have, you know, all three segments. We have downstream, midstream, and upstream. And then large companies like this tend to operate like, 50 or hundred separate companies instead of one company. So we want to make an enterprise or margin decision. And so it, it's kind of interesting. I get to look across the, you know, what they call the enterprise of the company and understand how to connect these dots or these value chains as they put them in, and then we can unlock additional value. Um, that has a good segue over to our business because we do the same thing on a smaller scale. We talk about integrating our supply chain. For example, you know, we have wood on our property. So what we're going to do with it, you know, some of it's dead or dying and standing, but it's still good wood. So we harvest that and, 
you know, after we got the sawmill, we realized, well, we need a wood kiln. And after we got that, we realized we needed additional thickness planers and, and sanders and a better, better, you know, uh, table saw, all those kind of things. So we were looking at ways on unlocking value in this business. So yeah. it's, it's oh, no, I appreciate that. That's, that's great. Uh, you know, great hearing what you're kind of doing today, but um, most people don't know this because we really haven't been that involved yet until now, but you have two engineering degrees. You have an MBA from Carnegie Mellon, which I think you had a heavy emphasis on finance as well. You've been um, worked several companies in a lean Sigma uh, black belt capacity role, which if, if someone's not familiar with that, they're basically looking at the operations or the business and looking for ways to optimize and save money. So that brings the credibility to, to, I think, this group of, you know what you're talking about. You're not just, you know, a guy who does woodworking who kind of has some ideas on business. You, you've actually applied it. You've been trained. You have formal education. And, you know, it, did I miss anything there? No, that's good. Yeah, that was a little better on the, on the background, just, you know, applying those principles and skills. It's really about solving problems, you know, and I think that's applicable today, starting with your why. What are you trying to solve? What's your goal? So that's a great lead in, James. This is our first one, and, and we were kind of brainstorming what topics would be good, and, and we want to hit on two areas today. One of them is, as James just said, finding your why, and then the other, you know, thing is what, finding your waste, right? And so finding your waste is, is a big piece of Lean Sigma, and a lot of companies have waste, and that's a way to improve your production and save money, but Let's start on finding your why. What what does that mean, James? Tell me what is that? If someone asked you, what is your why? Why do I need that? Well, yeah, I mean, if I reflect on our life and the way we kind of operate as engineers or, you know, maybe people that tend to be action oriented, initially people like that. And a lot of people will say, what do I want to accomplish and how do I how do I do it? Really, the thought is you should start with your why. You know, what do you want? Why do you want that? Because that's what motivates you. If you don't have kind of a true north, if you don't have an objective, a mission, then it's really hard to stay on the course. You know, it's like this, you know, bring it back to this business. If you're making, like I think one year we made three, almost 400 crates. And it was, why are we doing this? Well, I remember you and I talked and we said, well, look, we'll do this. We're making good margins, but they're obviously little crates. I mean, we're talking about making maybe $20 a crate at best. But we were able to take that money and we bought the sawmill with it. So every time we would make a crate, we'd be like sawmill, sawmill, sawmill. So we just kept telling ourselves, okay, we're going to use this for the sawmill. We did, in, in fact, you know, we did 380 some odd crates and we, we ended up buying the sawmill with it. Yeah, and if you and remember, think, you, you remember what happened halfway through that? We couldn't get these pre-built. Yeah, from Ikea. It was crates. Yeah, so we ended know, up making the, the I, say, I ended up making the crates. I almost cut my thumb off, by the way. So Yeah, it was kind of crazy. And, you know, if you look back and say, okay, well, y'all are two, you know, professional engineers that work at a very, you know, I mean, they pay us very well at oil and gas. And why are you doing that? And And I think the reason why I got into it was because I wasn't selected or going to be advanced as the next level of management. And I felt like I needed something else to do. I felt like I wasn't in control of my destiny at my day job. And I wanted to be able to say, I, 
I can make decisions and do something else with my own business. And that's really why I started it. Um, it was a kind of a hobby that was fun to do, but I said, I can turn this into a real business and put all of my energy into my side business, as opposed to trying to put a lot of energy into my day job that really wasn't going where I maybe thought I should be going. Right. Yes. There's a couple of principles there. So a little bit on the history, I think we started prior a little prior to COVID then COVID came yeah, And you and I both had a realization. I mean, I had this thing in my mind, you know, it's like we tell our kids all the time, there's a difference between the way things should be and the way they are. And people that are successful deal with reality. So you could look and say, well, you know, I should have a better career or I had this expectation for my career or my trajectory. And then you find out, well, I just have a job. So I think when we looked around, we saw that successful people have multiple paths to success. So, you know, it's not just the old, way you know when we were growing up it was basically like get a good degree get a good job max out your 401k and then you can retire at 60 or 65 and you know die five years later or whatever but uh i think the next this next generation is smarter about that anyways they they tend to have you know side businesses or side hustles and when we started the side business i saw a creative part of you unlock because I know when you're using your, you can only use so many of your skills at work. So almost so much, only so much of it's within your control. But when you own a business, you operate a business, it's really all in your control. There's so many different things you can do. The optionality is endless, right? Yep. No, you're exactly spot on. And we started, our mindset changed. Uh, I would say, you know, when we really said make this a business, because we were talking about that our business, what should we do? What craft show should we do? What are we going to, what products are we going to make? As opposed to us sitting around and complaining or talking about work. And it made us have a different, gosh, it felt better. I mean, we weren't complaining about what we hated about our day job. We were brainstorming on how can we control our future? And we were also, you know, trying to envision what this could be, right? So that was almost five years ago. Well, four and a half, five years ago, we were like, wow, maybe one day this could grow and we could, you know, one of us could quit our day job or we could do part-time or it just opened up and gave us so many feel-good things uh, of to what our why was. Yes, yeah, you feel trapped when you only have one way to go or if you're used to, you know, thinking you're controlling kind of your destiny Again, there's only so much that's within your control. And I mean, there's so many things that we try to talk to the kids about and they both kind of have their side hustles now and they, they have that going. So that's another thing. I, I think it gives us the ability to relate to our kids as they get older. And now we have another avenue to interact with them. We can pass on knowledge. We can help them build their wealth and their future. It makes me feel really good about it. Um, I like talking about it with you. We probably, maybe we do talk about it too much. I don't know. It's fun though. And it, yeah. it just, we get to challenge each other and it feels good when we're working on a project and, you know, we get it done or, you know, I see you do something that's really creative. Like, you know, you came up with the idea with the, um, with the whiskey staves. I don't know. We have about 10,000 whiskey staves and you're like, <laughs> well, maybe we'll make ornaments out of them. So we yeah. started making a ton of ornaments, but you know, it's just the whole make, you know, if life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Right. And, it, it, it's just a mindset, right? I think that's really where it starts is your mindset. No, that's great. And, you know, if we relate that back to our day job, okay, so we're both in strategic roles at our oil and gas company. 
And they always will say, well, why are we doing something? Why are we creating this project? You don't want to just have a project that has no mm -hmm. objective. And so someone will straight out when you're framing it up, why, what's the purpose? And that's really yes. what you need to do with your own business. You know, why are you doing yes. it? It may be okay to say, well, I just want it to be a hobby and I want it to feel, have a positive feeling part of my time, right? I don't want to just sit around and watch TV. So I just want to tinker and learn a few things, right? Or you could say my why is to early to retire early, right? Or I want to make an impression on, you know, other people in the community, right? Younger generation that, that might be yes. your why to mentor others. It doesn't always have to be from a financial gain, but I think you always do need to have, why are you doing it? And, and, and I'll let you kind of chime in here too, but I also think it's good to revisit that once a year. My why was to have some type of additional stream of income. So in case we got laid off, are we still in that space? Are we keeping focus to what our why is? So go talk about the revisiting your why and can you pivot and what do you do if you're not, you know, staying true to it? Right. I mean, I think I'll just echo your comment about attaching purpose to your work or your mission, because otherwise you're going to get burned out. I mean, back on the crate thing, I, I didn't intend on making several hundred crates by hand, but we had made a commitment. People had ordered these things for their kids' graduations. We didn't want to let them down. And it's an integrity thing. So, uh, you know, you kind of have to look at yourself in the mirror at the end of the day. But, you know, I, I think the best way I could probably answer that is we, or, or at least I follow a lot in this financial independence movement, you know, because I want to understand how to control my personal finances, how we can kind of optimize our lives to give us more options, right? And what they found is that people don't really want to you know, retire early, financial independence, retire early, the fire movement. They want to largely run their own business or do volunteer work or spend more time with their grandkids, but they're not going to, they're not going to spend their days on the beach drinking a pina colada. That's not really what they want. They want to do things that they love. And when you control your time, when, where, and how you spend it, you have the ultimate luxury. That's your that's your most important non-renewable resource is your time. You can't get it back. Think about it. When yeah. it's gone, it's gone. So if you can give yourself more options, you know, you're going to feel better about things at work because you're not putting all that pressure on work. I've got to get this promotion. If this doesn't work out, then my life is ruined. I don't think people say that, but they kind of think that and they have this locked in their mind. Right. Yeah. So, you know and one of the things that you you just mentioned, and, and I want to hit on it just a short bit before we get over to the waste, is you, first of all, full disclaimer, you're the finance guy and the business manager, and not only our personal, but also our business side of, of Pate Branch and our, you know, our regular income. I may do the day-to-day -day checking, but you're doing all the financial future investments, what the stocks look like. We have rental properties. You do all that. You've always said... Uh, and this is something that, you know, is not just James made up, but it's out there. You want seven streams of income, right? And so we're trying to have those seven. I don't know if we have seven exactly. You, you'll, you can probably hit on that. But this finding your why to me is part of one of those seven streams, right? So you have your day job. You might have your 401k, your investments that are coming in. And then you might have a side hustle or this could be your full-time job. So 
To some people, your why is could be layering part of those seven streams. So hit on the seven stream concept real quick, and then we'll get jump over to waste. Sure. Uh, the seven. So yeah, that's like an aspirational thing. And the idea is not that in a year you're going to have seven sources of income that can provide your basic living necessities plus some such that if one goes away, the other ones pick it up, you know, pick up the slack. The idea is that you're working on it continually. For example, you might buy real estate when you're young. You have rental properties. They, they, you have amortization. In other words, you know, you're, you're taking the rents and you're paying down the loan. Um, but you're not, it's going to take 15 years to get there or 10 or 20. And, but you're working on that. And, it, and the idea again is you're controlling what, what's within your control. And that's a very important concept that I try to tell myself all the time. You and I talk about this. Let's focus on what we can control and influence and not worry about the rest. Like if you watch the news too much, it'll drive you crazy because there's so many things you don't control. Right. Um, so it, for us, you know, I mean, just to share whatever we have our day jobs, we have our 401k like most people have. We're fortunate to have a pension at work. Uh, most companies don't have that, but you can create your own pension with after tax um, we didn't do a whole lot of after-tax investments until later in life because, frankly, we used that money to reinvest in the business, buy our land, and, you know, we, we didn't carry a lot of debt. But um, so we, we have those things kind of going for us. Great. Now, I want to switch over to the seven types of waste. Yeah. So this is a great topic, I think, because, you know, we talked at the first 15, 20 minutes or so about kind of, you know, more not philosophy, but like, you know, this is why you want to do it. But seven, seven to eight waste, I think, are things that makers right now, even experienced business owners, are, are being uh, impacted by. And so this is a principle that, that is also talked about in Lean Sigma. So why don't you just kind of tee it up, tell us what it is, and then let's talk about where our waste potentially are or what we're experiencing and how maker can kind of address it. Sure. Yeah, I'll introduce it. And then maybe as I go through each one, we can talk about examples. And um, and I'll just say this at the beginning here. The idea isn't that you're going to be perfect. It's just that you think about these things and you try to optimize. Right. Like our our shop, we try to we try to set up straight line production so we can just go from one station to another. Or if we've got multiple people working or you'll see that in a manufacturing plant, you know, either straight or an L or U, there's different ways to do it, but you know, you're not going to be perfect. The idea is just try to optimize your business as you go. It's not nearly as important when you first start as you know, it's more important as you get going, right? You go down the learning curve, you try to optimize your margins. Um, if you have a lot of production for those folks that are doing wholesale, then it's really important because you can imagine if your shop's all spread out and you're, you know, maybe you're doing caps or something and you've got your, you got your laser cut, you know, you got your, you're cutting your, your, your leather over here on one side and then you're, you know, then you're en engraving them and then you got to glue them on the other side or whatever. It's just back and forth, all that movement, there's waste, right? Um, so I don't know, you'll come up with a better example. You want to go through the, the, there's, they call it either seven or eight, and there's an acronym that you can remember. It's downtime. And I'll go through each one of these. If that sounds good, then we yeah. can pause. How about that? Okay. So no, the first one is deep. What's that? I think that's a good approach. Okay, cool. The first one's defects. So, you know, when we laser engrave, sometimes we put the wrong name on it. I think the other day I, I was doing keyholes in uh, some, some custom 
awards that we had made, I put the keyhole in upside down. So that wasn't real good. So then we had to make another one. So first one's defects. Next one's overproduction. So we've seen this before when we used to have an outlet where we could put, you know, things kind of on display at a restaurant and people would just kind of grab and go like cups or hats. And sometimes we would, you know, overproduce like, you know, maybe, uh, you know, one of the colleges that we, we have the copyrights to, we would overproduce for A&M and then, you know, A&M lost a baseball game or whatever. And then people aren't buying A&M as much. Yeah, no, that's a good example. We makers do that a lot thinking, okay, this is going to be a hot seller for a craft show. And then you, it doesn't sell because you thought it was going to be great and it wasn't. And now you have all this stuff sitting around that's engraved. Yes. The, the next one's waiting and that can be waiting for just generically information like where we have, we've had this happen before where you're waiting for a customer to approve a design and then, you know, something happens to that, you know, that product, something gets dropped on, it gets dinged. So that's not good. Also, it's it, you're, you've got part of your shop tied up. It could be waiting on equipment, materials. You're waiting on, you know, your cups to come into engrave. Uh, parts, people just waiting yeah. for, for anything. I think for me, this waiting one, sometimes I'm not really good with my FIFO, which is first in, first out, my cue. So if somebody comes and says, I've got something and I don't need it. I've got a case right now. A lady wants some slate coasters and doesn't need them till May. Well, I'm just letting them set around because I'm not prioritizing her because I know she didn't need it till May. I'll probably need to just put her in a queue list and get her done. And then it's, and then I finish early. So I think that's what you mean also by waiting. Yes, exactly. The in and downtime is not utilizing talent. So we see this in the workplace where you have a skilled employee doing unskilled tasks, maybe administrative tasks, things that could be automated or somebody who's highly skilled and, and, you know, they're not being utilized as much and you don't want to do that. Like if you contract somebody and, you're contracting at $100 an hour, you you better have a really good margin, right? You don't want to waste that person's time. It's, it's also, it's kind of disrespectful, right? You want to make sure that people are properly utilized. Um, so, you know, it results in employees not being able to make decisions and the people not using their skills and they don't get motivated. They don't have creativity, not utilizing talent. Yeah, that's a good one. A lot of us uh, are one shop kind of makers, but there are several people in the group and then out there in an in industry here who have several employees. And I think if I relate that back to my own experience where I work as my day job, I often see that they don't leverage my talents, right? And so I can say, well, how does that make me feel? And it makes you not as, I don't want to say not as productive, you get the laundry out, but you're not you're not being creative and pushing your, your own skill limit, right. Of where you really could add more value to the organization if they just really opened you up and let you run. Right. You may, you may not be as motivated and you're not bringing all your creativity and your skills to work and you, you want kind of that energy and passion, right? Yep. The next one, again, the acronyms downtime, the T is transportation. So this is, we're talking about unnecessary movement of materials it could also be information or equipment. We see that a lot here, like, you know, the shop, we're still, or I'm still finishing it. So I've got to work around stuff like we're, I'm doing the miter saw station. So there's some, there's some cabinets and stuff in the way. And, you know, 
if I would just take time to clean that up and organize and not do anything else, then I could process material a lot more efficiently. Um, it, so it's, it's over, really it's over transporting or transportation is not necessary. Making multiple trips to, to, um, to UPS, like yeah. the thing that comes to mind, Alicia, is when we used to have porch pickup, it was very convenient because we would just put it out on the front porch and people would come by and pick it up, right? Yeah, that was a nice part of it. Now we have to plan our trips to go in, into, well, I can either USPS it in my mailbox, but you got to hope nobody gets in there, or have to schedule my trips like I'm going to go on certain days. But, you know, for me, when you're talking about transportation and your your layout of your shop, we're fortunate in that we have a lot of space, but a lot of people are in their garage where all their crap is or their yeah. one or two bedrooms. And we as makers, I can see it when I have people on live streams or I'm talking to them through a video. You can see all their stuff is jumbled in the back and, you know, you're just looking for nooks and crannies to find and put stuff. And for the transportation piece, it's probably a good idea to to weekly just stop and clean and reorganize your shop just so you don't have accidents or you're, yep. you know, you're able to produce better. Yeah. We talked about having like a half day where we just say, we're just going to clean and organize the whole day. And I know uh, just a little humble moment here. I know that at one point we had so much, and that's the next one inventory. We had so much inventory in the garage. I had accumulated so much wood for processing and building, you know, cabinets and, and the, the uh, uh, other things that we were building, you know, the crates, I was going to say that I actually tripped over and almost fell. So I'm like time to clean up. So I built in a bunch of built in shelving and that made a huge difference. It made it a lot more efficient. So uh, next one's our favorite subject inventory. So that's stockpiling, maybe blanks. Um, it can also apply, you know, in the business world to information, um, you know, applications people have, things that are, that are piling up, you know, that could be data, right? So, so when it talks about waste and inventory being a topic of it, are they saying you don't, you have too much inventory? Like, that's well, a waste? right. Here's what happens. Let's say a customer, let's say you have a customer and they continually order a certain boot jack and it has, let's say they wanted brown felt, and now all of a sudden they changed their mind and they want green. Well, you've got a thousand of these things because you just assumed they were going to want brown. Now you have to either reprocess these or scrap them. It really, it's it's like a uh, engineering change came in and you've already pre-built all this stuff. You thought it was a good idea or you stockpiled on Lazy Susans because your realtors like them. And now all of a sudden they don't want Lazy Susans anymore. So that's why I say it can cut both ways. And that's something good for you to expand on because when you buy in bulk, you can get a discount and that's good. But now you're sitting on all this inventory that could become obsolescent or. Yeah. Does that, that make sense? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I think we as makers, if we have something that is selling, we have a tendency or I know I do to go out and buy a lot of them so that I can have them on hand and make sure I can continually get them. And so we've got, quite a bit of inventory. And so there's probably a fine balance there. Right. And I'm guessing that you could probably go and do some analysis and say, well, what's really moving in my shop that I, I can say it's, it's worth having an extra get, you know, stock of inventory for these items, but these items over here that I bought and maybe I'm still buying that aren't really moving. That's dumb. I know for me with the the olive wood resin boards, I kept buying those and they haven't really moved. I've probably sold three. 
But when I see them and they're on sale, I'm like, Ooh, those are cool. Let me get those. Right. So that's a lot of waste. I'm spending money and it's not moving. So I just need to unload those. Right. But it's worked out to our benefit. And the problem is that if you have a commercial customer or like a real estate agent, they want consistency. They want to be able to order the same thing. They don't want it changing every week or every month. I think you can get away with it maybe once a year, you know, or every six months you introduce a new product or you tell them, Hey, this one's out of stock. I can't get it from the manufacturer anymore. That makes sense. But you, you want them to have some familiarity and comfort with you. Right. Yeah, no, that's good. What's the next one? Next one's motion. So uh, this one sounds a little obscure, but we can go into it. That's movement by people that isn't value added or the customer's not going to pay for. So that could be, um, that could be walking between equipment back and forth because your equipment isn't laid out right. Or like us, we have, we have some of our supplies up on our, our attic, you know, when maybe we should put it down inside the shop where we have the, I know like in the shop behind me here, we have these shelves and some of this stuff we don't even use anymore. We should probably swap it out or, or get rid. you know, it's inventory, get rid of it, surplus it for somebody else who wants it. And then put the stuff that you're accessing all the time. And, and that can also be, that's why I say it's maybe a little obscure, but switching between applications, what that means is you're always talking about this uh, um, multitasking application switching because yeah. when your brain has to re reconfigure itself or, or, or do another task, you're not very efficient. People don't really multitask in complex functions nearly as well as they think they do. Yeah, no, that's it. So I'm going to hit on the motion in a second because I've got some examples there, but the multitasking, I want to give an example of myself. Um, I do a lot of context switching. Some of it is my fault. Some of it's both of our fault because we're working together in the same area. And naturally, we're going to ask each other, hey, look at this or hey, what do you think about that? Well, we're already thinking about something else. And so now we've changed and now we come back and we've maybe forgotten Um, And so sometimes if you're working in an environment where it's you and another maker or some employees, you kind of want to be respectful to that uh, open kiosk kind of open cube environment of, you know, don't be so loud, let people kind of do what they're doing. Maybe say, hey, when you got 30 minutes, come find me. I got a question. Right. Um, Because I've made several mistakes in the last year because of the working environment that we have set up where it's like we're both in our workstations are in the same open square footage area. And then another example of that is I didn't, it probably gets back to waiting. I did a design and I'm like, yeah, well, I'll engrave this in another week because it's not needed. And then when I went to go engrave it, I had forgotten the way that the center was and there was a, a logo on the right. And because I was whipping through it so fast, when I went to engrave it, it skewed it off the board because I wasn't used to, I didn't, you know, I didn't think about when I was designing, I was like, this is going to be skewed. So I need to make sure I centered it, but it was too far away, like two weeks later that I graved it. And I forgot about that. So that's kind of the double whammy, right? I hit the, um, I hit the timing. I waited. And then because I was multitasking, I really screwed it up because I wasn't thinking about what I was doing, but I want to jump back to that last one motion. Our shop we've got a lot of stuff in there and we just kind of moved out to the ranch and started going. We didn't really mm-hmm. stop, walk around and go. Does it make sense to have 
all the painting out here and over there. And then if we, you know, do that, if we did a trace, what do they call that trace? The spaghetti diagram? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When you're walking and if, if you, if we did, I bet one week of our motion of how we're assembling things, we design it, then we engrave it or cut it and take it back out to the, the dry, uh, the, you know, the woodworking shop area to do the painting and the assembling. We're going back and forth. I bet we would be able to start, tracking how much waste that we have in our operations. And really we, we haven't had time to do that, but that's something now that kind of orders are slowing down that we should do. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, the shop needs to be better organized. I've got some shelving or some rolling carts that are halfway finished and I'm kind of using them. You know, I just, I think that that's like, you know, priorities thinking that you can do more than you can. And if you, if you just, you know, there's some things you can do there, right? And it's not, I didn't come up with it, but uh, there's people that say to get up at four in the morning and it'll change your life. Why? Because no one's there to disrupt you. You get to, the morning started, you get to bed early you know, and and then you can get work done. There's no one to distract you, speaking of the multitasking and, and application switching. Yeah, and I think a lot of makers uh, th that have little bitty babies, the moms will say, I, I go to, but get up early or I, I start working when my kids are in bed because the little kids are distracting you. Right. And right. priority. I mean, they are yeah. going to be a priority, but that gets back to the, um, you know, the multitasking and, and, you know, serving your time wisely. So we're about 30 minutes and I want to, first of all, appreciate the we have one more. Yeah. Oh, what is it? That's the E in downtime, extra processing. That's when you're doing excessive work that the customer's not, doesn't see value in, isn't going to pay for it. An example of that would be like if we, if we're finishing a cutting board and only needs to be sanded to 220 and I do 320 or, you know, like when we first started every little crack and every little hole and everything had to be filled and sanded perfectly even though it was just a you know a cedar sign right and finally you were like look people don't expect that level of finish it's not a fine piece of furniture yeah no that's a good one and i think a lot of us in this industry probably have a little fault with that one right we it's almost like we're making our own little masterpiece uh how would we want it to be you know looked at if we made it and put it in our home there's a balance you want to keep quality but you're right. The extra processing, are you getting the value out of the extra three coats of clear coat you just put on it? <laughs> uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm guilty of that. I, I overprocess it for sure. I do like five coats of, of oil stain finish and yeah. six coats of poly on it or something. Just, I want it to look perfect and people yeah. love that. But you know, the thing is then you don't have time to do other things and you know, it's cutting into your, it's cutting into your, your economic viability. In other words, you, you know, you had to buy a shop, you had to buy all this equipment and you, you need to service that debt. Yeah. And it may be where in certain stages of where you are in your life cycle of your business, if you're on, you know, early starting it up and trying to get going, maybe you spend more time in that. But if you're in, you know, maintain and you've got a high throughput of, products you don't have time to do that right yes so that's good okay so let's do this james let's hit a recap of what we learned today okay you want to do a recap and then call to action uh yep. recap we talked about why are you doing what you're doing why do you have your custom laser engraving business can you attach that work to your mission 
or your your priorities, your values, so that you know you're working towards your future. That's called motivation. Yep. No, that's a good one. And I think if if someone doesn't have that, um, maybe talk with your your teammate, your partners, whoever, right. uh, and and try to figure out what your why is. So that's a good one. Then we talked just a really small bit about the seven streams of income. It was just a small bit, but mm -hmm. recap that one. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a great podcast, and we can put a link to it. It's called Choose FI, and uh, the letter F and then I as in financial independence. But it's great. I mean, I you know they have all kinds of resources there, and they connect you to other resources. But I will say this. If you don't have any headspace, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, then you're going to be under all this stress. As a matter of fact, financial duress or stress is the number one cause of divorce. And, uh, you know, you're creating you just, you know, simply put, a lot of us and maybe we're guilty of this, too. We're spending money to buy things like cars or clothes or whatever and impress people we don't know or maybe don't even like. Right. So. You know, what are you working for when you have your financial freedom or even just a little bit of headroom so that if you get a flat tire or the refrigerator goes out, it's not the end of, uh, of your life. Right. Uh, you need that headspace. You really do, because it, it just causes too much stress otherwise. So I would look into that, you know, go to that podcast if you're interested. I think um, I think it's uh, episode 100 is like a, an introduction to it. And if you listen to that, you'll know if you're interested in this kind of thing or not. Okay, so that's great. And then we got into the meat of it today, which was uh, the types of waste that are in business or operations. So just do a quick run through of those. Yeah, it was just downtime. We can put a link to it. And again, we, we went through those so that people could reflect on their own business. And we talk about it. We started off very lean and efficient because we're both engineers. So uh, but we still have a lot of that waste if we're honest with each other. And if we cut down, like we don't overprocess or we don't have as much, uh, you know, transportation or inefficiency, maybe we can do 10% more. And if we're making, let's say we're making, you know, $3,000 a month profit now, $300, all of a sudden that's, that's a lot because we can use that compounding interest. In other words, reinvest that $300 into the business or we put it into you know, uh, an ETF, broad market fund, and then you use that to build your passive income up. So it could have a big impact, even though it's a small, small thing, it, it seemingly at the front end. Yeah. And, you know, we're not just talking like, oh, theoretical book stuff. We, we've right. done this at work where we've taken processes in the oil and gas industry, removed the waste and saw that, oh my gosh, we saved 33 million in six months, just in yes. equipment yes. return, equipment order and return to deep water rigs, um, six months, say 33 million just from removing waste. And, and yeah, and yeah, transportation boats, right? And then, yeah. It, it, yeah, I mean, that brings up a good point. There's there's an old saying, uh, there's two, two sayings I really like that I think people should keep in mind. One is what gets measured gets done. So we see time and time again, I mean, I'm dealing with it now, right now at work and People don't, oh, there's nothing there, you know, move along, move along, you bother me, kid, kind of thing. No, 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 there's something there. If there's if there's inefficiency and it's not being recorded and it's a big operation, like let's say it costs, you know, a million dollars a day to fully fund uh, offshore operation, then, um, you know, there's probably some waste there that you can eliminate. But if it's not being measured, you won't know. So what gets measured gets done. And then um, 
plan your work and work your plan. That's a good military uh, saying that I like. Yeah, I like that one too. So awesome. So we're going to put uh, some links in the podcast and, you know, I hope that the, the listeners today enjoy a little bit of this. We're going to, this one was just kind of a light one. We're going to start digging into to more business areas and, and bring some of James's knowledge and skill set to the community. And we're going to be open to taking questions and feedback. But uh, first, I want to say thank you, James, for jumping on the, the Laser Lounge train. And um, I appreciate you being willing to share your experiences and knowledge. And as we travel down this business-specific journey, we'll, we will be very open and transparent to what successes and failures that we've had as we are growing our business. Because I think us learning from other people and what worked for them and what didn't lessons learned is very beneficial to others in the maker community, but I'll give you a last sign off and and any final messages. Well, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this journey. I couldn't agree with you more. We want people to participate and give us their feedback. We're trying to get better, right? We don't know anywhere close to everything. We're not experts, but we're learning as we go and we're going to enjoy the journey. And if we work together, we're going to be stronger together. Right. And that's, one definition of intelligence is learning from others' mistakes. I would much rather learn from somebody else making a mistake than me having to learn it the hard way, right? Absolutely. Thank you, James. And we'll Thank look you. forward to uh, doing this again next week. We'll talk to you later. Cheers. Yep.